Amen. Well, good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. A new year is upon us, and it's another opportunity for us to remind ourselves who we are, what we're about as a church. We have a vision statement in our church that we exist to exalt Christ by making disciples in this neighborhood, this city, and this world. That's our vision. That is our direction. That's where we're going. It may sound vague to some, but it is all-encompassing. We exist to exalt Christ by making disciples in this neighborhood, this city, and this world. And to do that, we need to be marked by seven things as a church. We're going to be looking at these seven things in the weeks to come. First, we must be marked by Christ-centeredness. We must also be marked by a discipleship culture. We must have leadership development. Family-based ministry. Body life, community outreach, and worldwide mission. If we accomplish these things, these seven marks, if we fulfill these things and all that is intended behind these words, then I believe we can be a Christ-exalting church and we can make much of Him by making disciples locally and globally. This morning we're looking at Christ-centeredness. More, more than looking at how we be Christ-centered, I want to look this morning at why. Why be Christ-centered? That's why we're in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19 is our passage we're going to exposit this morning together. But I want to begin in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And He closed the book and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and all The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The title of this sermon is The All-Sufficiency of Christ. The All-Sufficiency of Christ. 
this is possibly one of my greatest passions as a pastor. The supremacy and sufficiency of Christ. And I get that from my old pastor, Steve Fernandez, who pounded this into my head every week. That Jesus is supreme and he's enough. I desire this morning, dear Christian, that you would be convinced that Christ is sufficient for all your needs. Emphasis on all. Now, as I mentioned in my prayer earlier, we've seen a lot of stuff on the news this past week, especially. I would say since around November, we've seen a lot of stuff. You could even go back to last summer and see and think of all the things that you've seen on the news. If, unless you've had your head under a rock, you have seen the turmoil in this world, especially in this nation. What, what is it? What's an explanation to all of it? What word can we give to all of the um, hatred, especially surrounding the political arena? What, what explanation can we give to all the anger and, and the, the hatred? All the violent acts, especially what we saw this past week. Where is this all coming from? If we can give one word to it, it's idolatry. Mankind has placed their confidence, their trust, their hope, their affections. They have placed too much value on the people, the institutions, and the things of this world. That is idolatry. You need to ask yourself this morning, where are you placing your confidence? Where are you placing your trust? Where, where are you placing your hope? What person, what institution, what circumstance or condition in your life has taken the place of Christ? I want to exhort you, church, to not put your confidence in the economy or your health but in Christ alone. Do not place your trust in a vaccine or an election, but in Christ alone. To not put your hope in a new year, a new administration, or just simple wishful thinking that things will magically get better, but in Christ alone. Place all of your confidence, all of your trust and hope in Jesus because only Jesus can deliver from sin. Only Jesus can heal the soul. Only Jesus can make all things right. Only Him. Those are our three points this morning. Christ alone delivers from sin. 
Christ alone delivers from sin. Christ alone heals the soul. Christ alone makes all things right. Now, we have to get this right. We have to be convinced of this as a church and as individual Christians. If you want to exalt Christ, if you want to accomplish anything for Him, you must be convinced that Christ is all you need, that Christ is the center of your universe. We must exalt, as a church, we must exalt Christ in His sufficiency and supremacy in all things. If you have your bulletins inside there under our DNA, we're gonna, we, we cycle through the marks of a Christ-exalting church. And this is just to keep these things in front of you. Last week, we had a summary of all of them there on the page for you. And we're going to uh, coordinate these marks and the explanation of them that are found in our vision statement. We're going to incorporate those into... Uh, the bulletin week by week, and then we're just going to recycle them, right? Just so that you be reminded of what your life needs to look like, what this church needs to look like. This, this morning, we want to focus on the fact that we must exalt Christ in His sufficiency and supremacy in all things. Therefore, as a church, we will be governed and guided by the person and work of Jesus Christ. We will preach Christ as the central theme of all Scripture. He's going to be what our children get in the nursery and in the children's ministry. He's going to to be what is offered and, and given in every counseling session and discipleship meeting. We will teach Christ, we will teach that Christ is the supreme goal of all things. And has a first place in all things. We will set forth Christ as the greatest good for all mankind. Christ and his gospel will saturate every ministry in the church. If that can happen. Then you will be stunned at what God can do through us. This morning I want to focus just on this one little sentence in that paragraph. We will set forth Christ as the greatest good for all mankind. He is what every person needs. You need him more than you need that stimulus check. You need him more than you need Biden. You need him more than you need that vaccine. You need him more than you need anything else in this world. More than you need lunch. You need Jesus more. Here in Luke 4, Jesus gives his mission statement, a ministry overview in verse 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim, or excuse me, to free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That is the banner over the ministry of Christ. You want to know what Christ is about? You look here. Why did he come? Look here. What, was it, what were all the healings about? What were all the teachings about? What was the baptism about? Fulfilling all righteousness. What was all of that about? It, was, it is found here. That he would be 
everything that you could possibly need in your life. This mission statement is a, is a statement of deliverance. Because the gospel is a gospel of deliverance. Jesus Christ is the exclusive agent of gospel deliverance and divine blessing. What he's saying here is if you want anything good in your life, if you want anything blessed for your soul, come to me and me alone. Now, what does this statement say about those whom Christ came to help? What does it say about us? Well, says that we're poor, that we're captive, that we're blind, that we're oppressed in sin. And we are in a state of complete need for Christ to deliver. Christ came to set free those who are oppressed. That implies the oppressed cannot free themselves. We cannot free ourselves from the clutches of sin and death. Period. Christ must do it. So that's our first point. Christ alone delivers from sin. Christ alone delivers from sin. He says, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To preach the gospel to the poor. Now, Christ was already anointed by the Spirit. He had already been baptized in chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. After he was baptized, he was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, enabled to withstand the temptation of Satan and to maintain his impeccability, his perfection. And now he comes back and as the one who did what the first Adam could not do, stand against the temptations of the devil. He comes back as this new Adam, the last Adam, the perfect Adam. And he comes and he said, the spirit is upon me. He has, he has anointed me. That's where we get the word Messiah or Christ. To be the Messiah, to be Christ. Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It is a title that he is the anointed one. We can go into all the history of the anointings in the Old Testament, but we want to move forward. The anointing is just God's special mark on a man for a special work. And there were special men in, in special offices doing special functions all throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus comes and he is the last one anointed. He is the ultimate anointed one. He is the ultimate Messiah, the ultimate Christ. He is the Messiah. The one specifically marked and especially marked by God the Holy Spirit, to do God's work. What is the work? It is to proclaim good news. To preach the gospel, that is. The basic idea here is that Christ came to deliver a message. 
But to proclaim good news, to preach the gospel, it's one word in the Greek. It it contains this element of of joy. It, It is glad tidings that is brought. It's not bad news. It's good news. It's what the word means. Not just bringing news, but bringing good news. Christ came to bring good news into a world full of bad news. It was commonly used in Jesus' time for announcing a victory over an enemy nation. To announce that victory has been had. And it was the common use uh, for the messenger, how the messenger actually viewed himself as bearing that good tidings. The messenger saw himself as the one who would bring that good news of a specific event to people and announce it. Now, who is he announcing good news to? The poor. The poor. That is spiritually poor. Jesus didn't come to establish a welfare system. He did not come to put money in our pockets. He came to tell you good news. That though you are poor, you don't have to be poor any longer. Poor here means destitute. To be a a beggar, to be somebody who is in severe need. This is all of us before God. We are all destitute. We are all in severe need. We all are beggars before God. We are poor. We have nothing to offer God. You see, this is about God's favor. How do we receive God's favor? How do we receive God's blessing? Well, we're poor, so we can't buy it. See, that's what he's getting at. How do we get anything good from God? We can't purchase it. We can't earn it because we're destitute beggars that are in severe need. We have nothing to offer God to receive his favor. We have nothing to give him that would move him to forgive us of our sin. That is our state before God. We are sinners. We are those who have rejected his law and lived our own way. We were born this way. And as sinners, we have incurred or earned an eternal debt. Did you know that? Did you know you owe God an eternal debt? Now, what can a poor man, a poor woman offer Towards a debt. Nothing. That's us. We have an eternal payment. An eternal bill. That's in front of us. And we are so poor. We have no means of paying that debt. And Christ comes with good news. For your poorness. For your indebtedness to God. You owe him an eternity of judgment. You owe him a life of perfection as well. Christ comes and says, I know you can't pay that eternity of debt. 
You'll spend eternity paying it. You can't pay it off. And I know that you can't pay that life of perfection because you're a sinner. And all you can do is sin. So I have good news for you, Christ says. I've paid the debt. You see, it is good news that is proclaimed to the poor, to us. And the good news is I have paid your debt. I have lived a perfect life, Jesus says. I have lived that life for God that you cannot and that you would not. Not only that, but I have made a sacrifice to God for sin. To appease, to calm his wrath. To satisfy his justice. I have paid that bill. All you have to do is receive. That's it. What else can the poor do but receive? was talking to a, a brother the other week telling me about how he goes, he likes to go to the poor and bring them sandwiches. Now, he's not going there looking for payment. He's not going there with a sandwich and saying, okay, what do you have to give me if you want this sandwich? No, the, the whole point of him going there is knowing that they have nothing to offer, right? So it is with God. He comes to us in our destitute state, knowing we have nothing to offer him but empty hands. And he gives us good news. Only Christ can do this. Only Christ can deliver from sin. Because he is the one who has been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, he is also the one who has been sent to proclaim release to the captives. Release to the captives. To be a captive here is to be captive to sin. We are captive to sin. We are slaves of sin. This is how we are all born. We don't become this way. We just manifest it more and more as time goes on. John 8, 34, Christ, Jesus Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. John 8, 34. If, if what you do with your life, you are a committer of sin, you, you sin, that's the normal pattern of your life, what does that show? You're a slave of sin. Now this takes all forms, right? If you constantly lie, if you constantly lose your temper, if you constantly criticize, if you constantly doubt, if you're constantly jealous and are in envy, if you constantly lust, whatever it might be, Whatever the sin might be in your life, if that is what marks you, you are a captive. You are a slave of sin. Christ came to give liberty from that sin. 
Have you ever asked yourself, if you don't know the Lord, have you ever asked yourself, sinner, how come I, I, I try to reform my life? I try to do good things, but I always end up back in the mud. I always mess things up. Why is that? Because you haven't been set free. That's why. You're still a slave of sin. Christ hasn't liberated you. Now, I want to be careful because Christ can save and liberate from sin, but it, sin is still a heavy influence in our life, and we can, as Christians, go back to it. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about direction. Is the general direction of your life one of freedom from sin, or is the general direction of your life one of enslavement and I can't break free of sin. Which is it? Some of us may need to seriously ask ourselves this question. Liberty, he says, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. That release is liberty. That release is what is elsewhere translated in the New Testament as forgiveness. Interesting. You see, forgive, to forgive is to let go of a debt, to let go of an offense. That's what it means, to release it. If you don't forgive somebody, you hold that offense captive and you won't let it go. And then you become embittered, you become angry, and you mistreat them, it says in Ephesians 4. But here, he's using this word as being released from the clutches and the grasp of sin itself. It means to send off, to release, to, to let go. And it was used as let go of a debt, like to pardon. But here it is Jesus saying, I have come to release the grip of sin that it has on your life. To peel back the fingers of sin and its clutches on you. That's what I came to do. It, has no, it no longer will have a hold on you. Christian, you can say no to sin. Did you know that? If, if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed, it says. Are you free or not? Are you free or not? I don't care if you can warm a seat at church. Are you free or not? What's your life like? I don't care if you can pay the bills or if you can change the diapers. Are you free or not? Has Christ set you free? This is what he came to do. He didn't come to make a club. He came to proclaim release to the captives. And yes, he, there is this proclamation in this. He came to proclaim release to the captives. It's this idea of to cry out. 
is fundamentally the way this word is used almost exclusively is the declaration of an event. So like the herald would come and bring good news of a victory in the field, in the battlefield, he would, there was an event of victory. Victory was had, and he comes and proclaims it to the city. Same idea here. There is something that has happened that needs to be announced. And that thing that happened is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ came to proclaim this. He came to accomplish it, but then for it not to be some hidden event, but rather for it to be a, an event that is known and proclaimed and cried out in the world. That's what we must do as a church. We must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's not just me. I cannot be the only one to proclaim. You must proclaim it. So let me ask you, who will you proclaim this to? Write their names down. Write it down in the front of your Bible and say, I'm going to proclaim the gospel to these people. I'm not going to give up. Will you do it? Will you join the work? You don't have to quit your job. In fact, God would have you stay at your job so that you can proclaim there. But you must proclaim. And we must remind ourselves also that Christ has delivered from sin. If you find a brother or a sister in sin, you must go to them and appeal to them. And, and instead of condemning them and saying, what are you doing? Get out of here. You say, what are you doing? That's not you. If you say you're a Christian, that's not you. I thought you were free. I thought you were a new creation. Are you or are you not? Decide this day. Choose this day. Death or life. What is it going to be? We have to do that to each other. Hebrews 3. Reminds us of this. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Christian, you cannot fulfill that if you're not here. You can't fulfill that if, you, if, you're, if you're not involved in people's lives. We will be a church full of people that are being deceived by sin and falling into sin. If you do not get up and invite somebody to your house, text them, call them, do something to encourage them, follow Christ. Don't give up. Sin is deceitful. 
Let me remind you of the truth because I love you. We have to do that. I cannot be the only one who does that. If I am the only one that does that, or even the elders are the only one that does that, we will be a broken church. We will not exalt Christ in this neighborhood, this city, and this world. It will not happen. You have to call each other. You have to have lunch or dinner together. Forget dinner. Just have dessert. Say, come over at 730. You eat your own food. I'm not feeding you. right? I know, I know how much you eat. I'm not feeding you. I'll give you cake, though. Come over at 730. And let's talk. Do that. And you can do that in the midst of COVID. It's totally possible. You can do it. You just can't be lazy. For the sake of Christ. And it's because Christ alone can deliver from sin. Not only can he deliver from sin, but he heals the soul. He, see, he heals the soul. In verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim release of the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. Now, this recovery of sight to the blind is not mentioned in Isaiah 61, where Jesus quotes from. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. There's nothing about sight to the blind in there, is there? So why does Jesus do that? What he's doing is proclaiming to us that our soul is blind to God. This is not talking about physical blindness. Now, Jesus did help people or heal people from their blindness. He did give blind people sight, yes. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy. But here he attributes this to himself, not so much in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6 says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case? In the perishing people's case, in the sinner's case. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see. We're blind. We are blind and we're being blind by the spirit, by the God of this world, by the enemy. He's doing everything he can to, to encourage and intensify that blindness that we are all born with. But what are we blind to? It is so that we may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Verse 6, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God, who said light shall shine out of darkness in Genesis 1, is also the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, it's all about Christ, Jesus Christ. Do we see him? 
Christ says that he has come to give sight to the blind. Christ came into this world so that you would see him. He didn't come into this world just so that you would make better decisions. That's not the kind of sight or insight that he's talking about. It's him. It is seeing him as the pearl of great price. That's the kind of sight that he came to give. And only God can give it. Your soul does not see Christ in his glory, does not appreciate him. That is a sick soul that sees somebody as lovely and beautiful and and gracious and wise and powerful as the almighty Jesus Christ and says, "Ah, he's, he's a nice guy. That's a sick, blind soul. Christ came to heal that blindness. This blindness, as I mentioned, is not in Luke 61, but something that is in Luke 61 that's not here in Luke is this phrase. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up is uh, often used of the bindings of, of a bandage, of course. And, and therefore, it's this idea, what is communicated is medicating and the healing of the wound. The, 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 the calming or the, the, the removal of the pain and also the actual healing and making that wound whole again. That's what is being said here, to bind up the brokenhearted. Now, to be broken is to be broken. It it was used for bones that are broken, for clay pots that are broken and even shattered to a million pieces. What does it mean to be brokenhearted, though? What is brokenhearted? To be brokenhearted is the most severe State of damage of the soul of man. It's the most severe way that you can communicate the state of man's soul. Brokenhearted. The heart, lev in in the Hebrew, is the inner man. It's not just your emotions. It's not just your feelings. It's your thoughts. It's it's where you make decisions. It's where you love things and hate other things. It's where you reason about decisions. It's all of the inner man. That's how it's used uh, consistently through the Old Testament. So to be brokenhearted is not just I I feel bad because of sin. It's my whole inner being is shattered. I am a broken man apart from God. Now, what does Christ say? What what does the the prophet say about this Christ? That he will come to bind up, to heal, and remove the pain of the broken heart that you have. He came to heal your emotions, to heal your mind. To heal your will. 
to make it whole again. He came to make you whole again. That's why Christ came. Is he enough? Is he enough? Last, Christ alone makes all things right. We need to go through this. Verse 19. Excuse me, to, when it says to set free those who are oppressed, that is another way of communicating this brokenness of heart. It, it is the downtrodden, the de- depressed. It, it is somebody who is depressed and downtrodden, stepped upon so that they are broken under the weight. That's just another way of saying brokenhearted. It is to take those kinds of people and set them free from that state. Lastly, Christ alone makes all things right. This is in the last verse, verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me. He has anointed me. And then jump down to 19 to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is harking back to Leviticus 25. In the history of Israel of the Old Testament, every 50th year was a year of jubilee. So 50 years would go by, and there was this special year that God said, I want you to do this every 50 years. What would they do? In that year, all debts, all enslavement because of debt, All sales that were made that would remove a family from their home. They had to give up their home and be, you know, cast as uh, living somewhere else. That's not their home that God gave them. All of that was reversed. All the debts were canceled. All the enslavements were released. And all families come back home. That's a good year. I know a lot of us can think of a student loan or a car loan or maybe a home loan that you would, that you would say, I could use a year of Jubilee right about now. But this is speaking, when Christ uses this, he's not talking about canceling your credit card debt. He's talking about canceling the debt that you have to God. Christ came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, the the year of Jubilee. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5.17 it says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. It is a new year. It is a year of Jubilee. Not 2021, but the year of your salvation. That's the year of Jubilee. Christ will make all things right. And he starts in you. Where he starts to heal you, put you back together. Where he releases the debt that you have towards God. And where he sets you on a trek to go back home. Where he releases you from the, the captivity of slavery to sin. All of these things are accomplished in Christ. And there is one day when Christ will make all things new, where he will make all things right, not just in your life, but in the world. Psalm 110 says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. There is coming a day when all things will be in subject to Christ. 
In Hebrews 9.28, it says of that day, Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. There will be a second advent, a second Christmas, as it were. But that will not be in reference to sin. It will, it will be, a, it says, he will appear for a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. What does that mean? He's coming again to save you from this broken world. He's not coming to judge your sin. He's not coming to bear the sin of the world. He already did that. He's going to come again. He's going to come again to save you. And so don't put your hope in the new year or a new administration or just wistful thinking. Things are going to get better when Christ comes. That's when. He is our deliverer. He is our hope. And there is coming a day in Revelation 21.5 where Christ will say, where it says, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. What words? I am making all things new. God will make all things new. He will make all things right. He will settle all debts. He will bring true justice to the world. And so where will you place your confidence? Where will you, where will you place your trust and hope? What, what person, what institution, what condition of life has taken that place of Christ? That's idolatry. We've seen enough of that this past season. Don't put your confidence in the economy or your health. Don't place your trust in a vaccine or an election. Do not put your hope in a new year, a new administration. Place all of your confidence, all of your trust, all of your hope in Christ alone. Only Jesus can deliver from sin. Only Jesus can heal the soul. Only Jesus can make things right. So that's who we proclaim. We have something to offer. More than sandwiches. More than a warm bed. More than bikes. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Forgive us, Lord, for idolizing other things, for putting our hope in, oh, if I could just get that, whatever it is. If this would just happen, things will be okay. Oh, no, Lord, we, we need to put our trust in you. When things are hard and difficult, when all hope is lost, we need to run to you, Lord. Forgive us for our idolatry. Forgive us for thinking that other things and other people will make things right instead of looking to you as the answer for mankind. Lord Jesus, you're the greatest good. You're all we need. We pray that, that you would be the center of this church, Redeemer Bible Church. May Christ be at the center of it all. We'll give him the praise. We pray, amen.